This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. With a number of states gradually reopening for business, is it time to bet on stocks that thrive in a rebounding economy? I mean, that's certainly what today's action said. Dow gaining 359 points. The S&P rising 1.47%. That was easy. <laughs> Oh, and the Nasdaq advancing 1.1%. Bye, bye, bye! With many of the biggest losers of the year leading the way. Ah. Hey, I say not so fast. Look, we all want to go back to normal. But even after we lift the lockdown, the new normal is going to be very different from the old normal. And I'm tired of the cliche of the normal this, the normal that. But we've got to remember that things have changed. For starters, the new normal is a lot less investable. I don't think it makes sense to fall into the gap here or book a carnival cruise or attend a live nation concert. Even as all these three stores, uh, they roared, they're, they're compressed springs. And given how far they've crashed, I think they've got more legs to them. Hey, if I were a hedge fund manager, I'd be buying these stocks for trade and do the state by state openings. But if I were an investor like many of you, I would let them run if I was stuck in them and then escape for the stocks we're going to be talking about later in the show. Got to understand, lifting the quarantine doesn't necessarily mean the customers will come back. Even though we're flattening the curve in some parts of the country, that doesn't do anything to solve the sudden spike in joblessness. I don't see any loan growth here. There are millions of people who can't cover their rent or their mortgage payments or pay their credit card debt. These aren't the shoppers and spenders you need to see to justify more than four or five days worth of this kind of rally unless we get a vaccine. And as much as there are so many great minds working on that one, you'll hear one later in the show. I don't think we're going to get one in 2020. Look, I get that it finally feels like we're getting a handle on this pandemic. There's a sense that it's time to roll up our sleeves and get things done, aided by those $1,200 stimulus checks. I think it's optimistic. But let's say the optimists are right. Suppose we get a real economic rebound courtesy of pent-up demand and cabin fever. Are people buying the right stocks, the right stocks for the new normal? I know the best way to look at that is always what you want to do is you want to be empirical and you want to be based on facts. So why don't we do this? Do this. Let's go over to today's biggest gainers because some of them did not make sense. All right, let's start with one that's a truly coil spring, and it's called Kohl's, KSS, up 17%. Now, I'm sure it could enjoy a short bounce as the economy opens back up. Why not? The problem, though, is that you lost the best reason to own this thing. It's one's bountiful dividend. Worse, I think people have learned to live without Kohl's during this period. Easier to get what you need from a Target or a Walmart or, yes, an Amazon. Oh, and they probably have way too much inventory. They'll have to dump that. I mean, you want to buy something off of Kohl's, you buy TJX. 
You buy Burlington. Not so great for Kohl's. The downfall of a department store chain is often started with the sampling of a competitor. Oh, there's been a lot of sampling in the last couple of months. Second, PVH. Well, that's up 15%. You know I'm drawn to this one because CEO Manny Chirico, who happened to be on to our TV earlier today, he's built a worldwide empire of Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger. Those are great, iconic brands. But I don't know where the momentum's going to come from. PVH needs a real back-to-school season. We don't even know if we're going back to school. I also think there's too much inventory in the system, which is not good for PVH. I can't recommend it. Do think it's bottomed. Third is a tough one for me. It's called Simon Properties. The mall owner is the best house in a very bad neighborhood. I want to stress that they've got a great reputation. And CEO David Simon is a brilliant guy. They've also got a long track record of paying the dividend, which currently yields nearly 15%. But is that a huge red flag? Malls are in terrible shape. I just can't imagine how Simon will get enough rent money in with so many of their tenants likely to go under. On the other hand, though, Simon's stock has already been cut in half, and I don't think his business will be cut in half once America reopens. Mall's bad, but not cut in half bad. At least Simon's malls. Listen, if anybody can navigate a shopping mall read through these turbulent waters, I'm going to give it to Simon. This man has paid out more than $33 billion in dividends. That's staggering. I would love to have him on the show to hear about how he'll make the, the merger with Talbot work. It was a poorly timed deal. It took place right before the pandemic really hit home, but he's sticking by it. Now, listen, if you own this one, you're making a bet on David Simon, the man, not Simon, the properties. But it's been a lifelong great bet, although this is a test of a lifetime. Fourth is one I'm truly worried about because of the financials, this gap. The company just refinanced at a much higher rate than I think it's chain. Uh, I think it's a chain whose time has passed. I just don't see what gap has to offer that's special or different or even necessary. By the way, the prices aren't even that low. Right now, you're getting a chance to sell it. I want you to take it. Fifth is Nordstrom. Do you know that two years ago, the Nordstrom family tried to take this company private for $8.4 billion? And what did the board of directors special committee say? No, not high enough. Well, I got news for them. Now it's in $3 billion. Oops. I think there's a place for Nordstrom. There's a last man standing feel about the department store, doesn't it? With Neiman in trouble. But is it worth more than 20 bucks? Well, I think it's got a slew of horrible numbers ahead. Frankly, the chain wasn't doing that well before the pandemic, but it's got a saving grace. It's called Rack. It's off-price uh, business. When we reopen, I could see the stock rallying another 20% for these levels. But you know what? At 25, let's skedaddle. Six is Tapestry, the, form, the artist formerly known as Coach. Wow, this is tough. It's another one like Nordstrom that's been headed south for a while. Tapestry's got a raise on debt problem. I think it could have a bit of a bounce, but no. Uh-uh. Later. Seventh, whoa, L Brands, forget it. Unless they can force the sale uh, of Victoria's Secret back to Sycamore, which pulled out of its deal after the virus hit, this one's too toxic for me. I like that Bath and Body Works, smells nice, but it's not enough to offset the weakness of Victoria's Secret. I say stay away. Eighth is Live Nation, well-managed, but a stretch. I can't think of a better way to spread the virus than going to a concert. I think this one's like the cruise lines. It's in fingers-crossed mode, right? I mean... Live Nation's betting on feckless, reckless youth. Usually that's a pretty good bet. Parents don't know what's going on. I didn't fill some seats. If Live Nation keeps bouncing, I'd be a seller. There's only so much reckless, feckless behavior you can tolerate. Ninth is MGM Resorts. Now, if you want to buy a casino, the one that you should be thinking about is Win. They've got a plan to open that I think has got. They brought in Johns Hopkins to figure it out, for heaven's sake. That's the safest, which therefore makes it the best. I don't want to own any casino stock because they need crowds, and crowds are how you get COVID. 
So be careful. I wouldn't go to a casino right now. I certainly wouldn't own the stock. Uh, I do like Penn National Gaming, but that's because of Portnoy. Because Portnoy is a disciple of some of the greatest investors of our time. And I'm going to think of them if you give me the whole show and tomorrow, maybe. Tenth is Haynes Brands. This one actually is overdone to the downside. Haynes is a profitable company with good digital business, and people are underestimating the free cash flow. And I'll, you know, I'd show you exactly how good I think they are, but I think I'll spare you that bit of information. I would, be, I would bet that they will be a legit of the, all these. I think this one is a winner. I'd buy it. But at best, these are winners for trading people. What's worth buying as a long-term investment? What, do you see Home Depot here? Do you see Lowe's? I mean, that, that's, that's better than all these. I think COVID's going to be with us for some time. I expect flare-ups and disappointments and backfires. I don't know if we're in the first inning. That seems wrong to me. But we aren't in the middle innings, and we still don't have enough testing or masking and content. You're sick of it already, I know. The bottom line, what's really happened in this country since the lockdown? What drives our belief that things will go back to normal? Some masks. Some testing, some physical distancing, and a lot of hope. Now, I got nothing against hope, but it ain't no business investment strategy. So until we get a vaccine, you need to approach this market as though the world has changed. What's worth investing under the new normal besides a couple of big box hardware stores? Well, guess what? I got a list of them, and I'm going to give them to you after the break. Let's go to Bob in Florida. Bob! Hey, booyah, Jim. It's Bob from Florida, formerly from New Jersey. Yep, we've talked to each other. This is not, this is like third time, long time. What's up, Bob? Yeah, I think so. I want to thank you again for all you do for us amateurs. Oh, thank you. And uh, I'd like to talk to you about a company called Viva Systems, a cloud software solution. Yeah, that's Peter Gasser. He's fantastic. I've been looking at it in March uh, when I saw it had phenomenal growth since the early 2018. Uh, then it dropped in mid-February till the middle of March and started moving up, and I thought I might buy some. But I was waiting for a pullback to get a better price. The problem is it just kept going up seemingly every day. It went from 120 to 190 just since the Ides of March. Uh, I know, but remember, Bob, it just hit its all-time high today. Now, that's good and bad. We love stocks that have relative strength like that. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you asked it, I missed the boat in it. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say there's a better time to buy it. I'm not going to say you missed the boat because there's going to be another opportunity. But, man, this thing is just, you're not early. All right. The world has changed. I want you to approach the market differently. All right. Well, man, buddy, tonight, NVIDIA just closed its acquisition. Melos, well, there's a winner for you. How does that combination benefit today's uh, work from home world? I got the CEO, Jensen Wong. Then I'm introducing the COVID-19 stock index and focusing on the companies that can work in the current environment, and they're not doing that well today. That's perfect. After oil's breakdown last week, wondering what's there for the commodity, you know I've been negative, but should I stay that way? I think you should stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. 
In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. You know I'm a big believer in NVIDIA, maybe the biggest. I love them for their graphics chips that enable what's currently the hottest hobby in American gaming. And I love them for their data center exposure because the cloud's on fire and they're the best. I love them for so much. Well, hey, that's why I named my dog after them. But we just got another big positive here to like NVIDIA about. Over a year ago, NVIDIA announced it was buying Mellanox. That's an Israeli chip maker with a major data center exposure. Wall Street's been desperate for this deal. It's It's poised to give the company a nice earnings boost. But unfortunately, the deal became a casualty of the trade wars. Chinese regulators held up for no particular reason, except I felt retaliation. Finally, earlier this month, they got Chinese approval, just like Jensen Wong said they would. And earlier today, NVIDIA closed on its purchase of Bellinox. Now, the stock's already up nearly 65% from its lows last month. But could it have even more upside? Let's check in with Jensen Wong. He's the visionary founder, president, and CEO of NVIDIA to get a better sense of where his company's headed post-Melanox. Mr. Wong, welcome back to Man Money. Jim, great talking to you. I hope you're well. Oh, Jensen, same, same. I know that you've taken care of all your people, and it sounds like so far so good. Yes, everybody is safely at home, and uh, we're taking care of our people. Well, that's you. That's you all over. Let's talk about this deal, because you told us that this would be passed. I questioned it because I was so worried, but you said, do not worry, Jim. Now, it is given you, from what I can tell, it will optimize your data center scale workloads, and it, you were very excited about the accelerated computing platform with Mellanox's world-renowned accelerated networking platform. Now, in English, for our viewers, you must tell them why this is such a great deal. Yeah, this is a this is a home run deal, man. I've been dreaming about this. You know, the um, the most important computer today is the data center. It is the epicenter of the computer industry, and the most important applications that run in the data center today are AI applications and big data analytics applications. Doing computation on artificial intelligence neural networks and moving huge amounts of data around is what drives the data center architectures today. And so we're combining and the leaders of AI computing and high-speed networking and data processing uh, into one company. And so this is, this is uh, really quite extraordinary. We've, we've uh, gained end-to-end expertise in the data center from computing to networking to storage to security processing. Our footprint is much larger than before. We have much greater scale. And so with that, hopefully we could you know, accelerate the innovation and, and create uh, amazing things for data centers going forward. It does sound like uh, beyond just what data centers can do, just as a kind of a commonality, you are very much involved with trying to solve COVID-19 and defeating it with, ju- with just plain sheer brilliance and technology. Yeah, if you look at COVID-19, this is, this is um, something that we have to respond quickly and accelerated computing help you do that. We were involved in every aspect of fighting COVID-19 from from mitigation uh, to containment to uh, testing and tracking. In in, uh, mitigation, 
uh, supercomputing centers were using it to filter from hundreds of thousands of different biomolecule uh, options to figure out which one of them have high likelihood of being effective. Uh, we were using our supercomputers to do molecular dynamic simulation uh, to understand the, uh, the, uh, uh, the mechanics of the virus. Uh, our genomics computing platform was used to uh, sequence uh, the virus in the beginning. And so for mitigation, understanding the virus better, uh, using our high-performance computing platform, and then to containment. Uh, in containment, uh, we have robots, NVIDIA-powered robots that are just roaming around the hallways, uh, disinfecting with ultraviolet or disinfecting with sprays. Uh, our AI algorithms were used by uh, radiologists to uh, detect um, CTs, of, CTs of the lung to, to have uh, early detection as possible of, of uh, infections. And then now, uh, people are setting up all kinds of AI infrared cameras uh, to uh, detect elevated body temperature, um, uh, you know, as soon as possible, so that we can we can identify the, the ones that the people that are are infected and keep them quarantined. Well, and so, oh man, just across the board, there's just thousands of projects ongoing on COVID-19. Um, you know, as you know, COVID-19 is not just COVID-19. This is everything that we're going to learn about about. Um, about fighting COVID-19 from mitigation, containment to uh, living with it uh, long-term. Uh, you know, th all of this is methodologies and infrastructures and computing techniques and algorithms that's going to help us in the future. Viruses aren't going to go away. It, and uh, in the future, we want to be able to respond a lot faster. It just sounds like that you personally are very much involved in this mission of, uh, of beating back COVID. Well, we have a lot of researchers and scientists all over this company. I mean, one of the things that's really great about our company is, is uh, just, the, just a large collection of great minds who wants to use computers to solve the world's greatest challenges. And, and so this is one of, one of them, and it's not going to go away. And so the work that we do today is going to help us in the future. Now, I know that uh, a lot of companies are pulling back. There's been a lot of layoffs. I know the president's right now talking about retail and how many layoffs they had. That was not your reaction to this situation. You gave raises. Well, you know, attracting, attracting the best people, taking care of them, and creating the environment for them to do their life's work is our number one priority. And so during these challenging times, and, and you know, I, I listened to your talks, listened to your program, and the number of people who are laid off and the people who are affected is just extraordinary. Uh, it's really sad how many people are affected. And those people who are affected, many of them are the spouses and families of our, of our employees. And so the thing that we could do is to accelerate the raise, put, you know, tens of millions of dollars more in, in their pockets and help them uh, get through this time. Taking care of them is our number one priority. Now, you have uh, one area that I know for Intel was troubles, troublesome, which was they did uh, not do that well with Mobileye. Uh, you've shown us your autonomous vehicle uh, work, and it's uh, second to none. But will that be held up because autos are obviously such a troubled area? Yeah, if you look across our, our uh, different businesses, our core businesses are gaming, graphics, uh, data center, and robotics. And autonomous vehicles is part of our robotics business. That's going to be affected because the number of cars that are sold is, uh, is uh, reduced. Uh, the industry is the industry is really in, in a challenged way, um, but that won't that won't slow us down. Uh, you know, I believe in the future of autonomous vehicles. Everything that moves, everything that moves in the future will have autonomous capability one way or the other way.
And so this is this is this is an investment for the future, and it's going to be it's going to pay off hugely someday. And so so um, uh, we've got our eyes set on this thing. We're not going to give up on it. We're going to keep investing in it, and it's getting better all the time. And can't wait to show you the next update. You know, I res- respect you more than pretty much everybody I, I've had the pleasure to meet. Do you have some words for us as a country about where we are with COVID and whether you yourself feel that the world has changed forever or that one day we will look back and say we beat this? Well, one of the things that, that's, a, that's a huge positive is the recognition that science is important, that we have to make sure that we invest in science. Look, the vir- viruses, viruses are not going co- to come back again. Uh, our ability to to uh, detect them early, uh, to mitigate it as quickly as possible, find a, vac- find a vaccine much, much faster than we can today. And if anything were to happen, to create a condition by which we can contain it um, and, and then to be able to live with, live with the fact that there are viruses that are going to be coming all the time. And so we have to invest in science. We have to understand um, uh, uh, infectious diseases. We have to, un- we have to develop... Uh, computing systems and infrastructures and um, expertise all over the world to make sure that we could mitigate and contain it when it comes. And, and so all of this is all of this is just elevating uh, the consciousness of science, the importance of science. And and um, uh, it is so great. It is so great to see the um, uh, all of the healthcare workers and the people who are in the front lines, the people who deliver deliver things to our house, and people who are running the restaurants and and keeping the doors open and, and uh, keeping us fed. And, you know, all, all of those people who are putting their, themselves in harm's way knowingly every single day, for them to be acknowledged as heroes, uh, this, this, these are good things. Yes. These are good things. The scientists are celebrated. The doctors are celebrated. The nurses are celebrated. Delivery drivers are celebrated. You know, restaurant owners are celebrated. And it's, um, uh, it warms my heart. And I think it, it's going to be transformative to society. And I think we're going to be, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be better off for it. Well, th- thank you, Jensen. Congratulations on uh, the Mellanox deal, on all that you've done, on the pivot that you're trying to do to solve this, which I feel fantastic about knowing that you're involved. Jensen Wong, founder, president, and CEO of NVIDIA. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thanks a lot, Good talking to you. Stay uh, safe. All right. Mad Money's back after the break. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one-size-fits-all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity, or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. Yesterday, during a virtual speaking event that I did for the 92nd Street Y in Manhattan, I got an interesting question. Is this the end of index investing? My answer was yes. While index funds will never really go away, I think we're looking at the end of the conventional wisdom that index funds are the smartest way to invest. For many years, we've been told that savvy investors should stop trying to beat the market and simply put their money in a cheap index fund that mirrors the S&P 500. For a long time, that was very solid advice. You know, I preach it. But, you know... That's not the world we live in anymore. The pandemic has rendered vast swaths of the market uninvestable. 
It's very obvious what's not working right now beyond a trade. So when you buy an index fund that mirrors the S&P 500, you're getting a whole lot of bad with the good. That's always been the case. It's just right now the bad is incredibly bad. Why the heck would you want to put your money in an index with airlines or oil producers or restaurants, perhaps with half the seats taken out so that they can pass muster? Consider this. When you zoom out beyond the S&P and you look at all the major averages, they each tell a vastly different story. The S&P is in the middle of the pack. It's down 12% for the year at the end of last week. Dow Industrials uh, down 16.7. Russell 2000, small cap, down 26%. Brutal. On the other hand, the Nasdaq Composite was only down 3.8%. And get this. The Nasdaq 100, the 100 largest non-financial stocks in the NAS, think tech, think biotech, actually up 0.6%. When you think about it, these disparities make a ton of sense. The Nasdaq 100 has a lot of exposure to COVID-19 uh, than the Dow or the S&P in a positive way. It's very tech-heavy. Only big companies, so no small-cap exposure like the hideous Russell 2000. There's a tough time to be a small company. Now, I know index investing will never go away. I don't even want it to go away. But what if we could make it? smarter. What if we could improve upon the NASDAQ 100 with a group of stocks that's tailor-made for this environment? All right, it was a rhetorical question. Then this weekend, we sat down and we did it. So tonight, I'm calling it and unveiling it, the Mad COVID-19 Index. We should be mad at COVID, right? It's the Mad COVID-19 Index. It's 100 stocks across 17 different groups that can work in this tricky environment. Let me give you the methodology, and then I'll walk you through all the components. We had only one hard and fast rule. Every stock in the index had to be a year-to-date outperformer versus the S&P 500. That did knock out a lot of stocks, but that's okay. We have to be rigorous. We started with our favorites, companies with stories we know well that are working here. We looked for industries that were winning, like cloud software, and picked our favorites within each group. We threw in some higher-yielding defensive plays that feel a little more attractive in an uncertain world. Put it all together, and the mad COVID-19 index ended up with these 17 different sectors, although I put that in air quotes because they're not all the normal sectors that you're used to. But that's okay. Normal's got to be thrown out. First, we got beverages, specifically the beverage companies that benefit as people stockpile drinks at home. I'm thinking PepsiCo and Boston Beer, the parent of Sam Adams and Truly Hard Seltzer. We heard from Boston Beer last week and PepsiCo reports tomorrow. I bet it's good. Second, cloud software. So many of these cloud plays have become vital to the work-from-home economy. We narrowed it down to 13 for the index. It wasn't easy. Salesforce, uh, Adobe from the Cloud Kings, Zoom Video, Ring Central, and Slack for communications, CrowdStrike, Kramer Family Fave, Okta, Zscaler, how can I help you for security? Then Cloudflare, Coupa Software, DocuSign, Everbridge, and Viva Systems as catch-all for everything else that's thriving here. These are the companies that you need if you're going to work from home. And almost every banker is working from home. Lawyers, too. Accountants, too. Third, consumer packaged goods. These stocks tend to work when the economy slows down, and right now their cleaning products are getting an extra boost from the virus. We like Clorox, Colgate, Palmolive, Kimberly Clark, and Procter and Gamble. Fourth, e-commerce is killing it here because, well, right now it's the only real way to shop safety. So you know what we said? We thought Chewy, eBay, Shopify, of course, and Prologis. We had them on recently. Fifth group, financials that actually work. Okay, meaning not the banks, which are way too risky in a recession. That's why we like market access and trade web. A couple disruptive electronic trading platforms. I like some financial technology stocks. I like Square and PayPal, which never quits. Six is video games. It's a pillar of the stay-at-home economy. All three of the big publishers are up for the year. In goes Activision Blizzard, Electronic Arts. 
Take-Two Interactive. Seventh Group, similar. Home Entertainment and its enablers. If you're like me, it's the only thing keeping you sane, or at least relatively sane. So Netflix, Roku, Snap, Spotify, Akamai Technologies, and the trade desk. Now we get to a biggie, healthcare. That accounts for more than 20% of the mad COVID-19 index. The healthcare stocks are classic recession plays, and I think the pandemic only makes them more valuable. I like Abbott Labs, AbbVie. That'll be even better when the Algen deal closes if you can go, if Botox is no longer uh, forbidden from being used as part of some non-essential thing. We like Centene, Michael Nidorf, right? United Health Group, great quarter. Gilead reports Thursday. Regeneron, good news from Meg this evening, uh, this morning, but really about a lung cancer drug. Uh, Santa Fe, that's against with Glaxo. Danaher, Thermo Fisher, Eli Lilly, what a quarter. Baxter, Beck and Dixon, Dexcom. Whoa, Dexcom was good. GlaxoSmithKline, remember that's the one that's going with Santa Fe. J&J, fabulous quarter. Don't worry about the talc. Malsimo, yes. Pulse oximeters, that's going to be a major focus for me coming up. Perigo, Pfizer reports soon and with another uh, vaccine. ResMed, and finally for the pet, Zoetis. The only group with a larger weighting than healthcare, it's mega cap technology. And don't overthink this Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft. I know Apple might sound counterintuitive, but they've got a huge Chinese business, which is coming back at a time when China's recovering rapidly. And I'm betting the subscription services gets a major boost with hundreds of millions of people under quarantine. Tenth, there's a smaller tech place that will work here. And that's Citrix Systems, which is, again, office at home and Logitech, which are both vital for remote work. Eleven, packaged foods. The pantry uh, brands are still working. I like Campbell's, ConAgra, General Mills, Hormel, Spam, J.M. Smucker. Can you believe they had a good quarter? Kellogg, McCormick, Spice It Up, and Mondelez. We like Tate's cookies. You maybe like Oreos. Twelve, the high-quality specialist real estate investment trust, especially the cell tower and data center REITs we need for 5G. That's American Tower, Crown Castle, Coresight Realty, Digital Realty, and Equinix. Thirteen, the remaining restaurant survivors, the ones with top-notch delivery, takeout services, Chipotle, Domino's, Wingstop. Uh, McDonald's and Wendy's didn't work for us, okay? 14, retail survivors. The handful of change that will be left standing when all this is over and many small players are going under. And that's Costco, Walmart, Dollar General, and Home Depot. They're the ones that are beating the S&P. Uh, reopening economy, Home Depot does best. 15 semis at work. Many chip makers are cyclical, but some have more powerful product cycles than others, like 5G. So there you go with AMD, NVIDIA, and Marvell Tech. 16, high-yielding safety. you got to have some of that during recession. Utilities, wireless providers. I like letter D, Dominion Energy, Next Era Energy. That's a growth utility. And, of course, Verizon. Finally, there's one group, one more group, that we're calling the exotics. Maybe because I've been watching that too much of that Tiger King. This is a catch-all category that includes a bunch of special situation names that you got COVID vaccine plays, BioNTech, that's the Pfizer one, Inovia, I know that's controversial, Moderna, boosted again tonight. You got health technology companies like Livongo, how well they do, and Teladoc reports soon. And then just a grab bag, Barrett Gold, because gold tends to retain its value when the economy gets crushed. Beyond Meat, because we may be facing a shortage of real meat, Fresh Pet for pet food, and Seago for networking. And Owens and mine, remember them for face masks. And yeah, we're throwing in Peloton because you can't get to the gym and they're backed up a couple months if you want one. Now, the mad COVID-19 index isn't exactly diversified. We're waiting by market cap. So 42% of the darn thing is just four gigantic tech stocks. But honestly, that makes it a lot like the regular indices. The top five stocks, the S&P 500 now cap for 20% of its value. And the whole point of this exercise is to focus on what's working right now. That's overwhelmingly tech, healthcare, and consumer staples. And until we get a vaccine... Well, here you go. 
When you back test these hundred stocks, the index will be up nearly 10 percent for the year. As of the end of last week, trouncing on the major averages. The bottom line, you want to remember this list the next time the market rolls over. The whole point of this exercise is to demonstrate that stock picking makes more sense than traditional index investing. Now, there are just so many obvious winners and obvious losers. Please don't make life difficult for yourselves by owning the losers. I just gave you the winners. Much more may have money head. If the lips saw accident oil last week, wondering where the commodities headed next, I'm going to go off the charts to find out. It's going to surprise you. Then, how should you approach the companies reporting this week? I'll explain why Amazon could be your guide. And all your calls, rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Are we about to witness another misleading oil meltdown? Last week, the May futures contract pummeled below zero. Remember, it fell to negative 37 as its lows before rebounding back to positive territory. Today, the June contract plunged to $12. I mean, these things are a mess. Now, I've been telling you to stay the heck away from crude for months, even before the virus hit, I was bearish. But I also think the action in May and June futures contracts can be very misleading. Notice how the oil stocks have been going up. So I want to put it in perspective. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner. She's a brilliant technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading and the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading. Garner's our resident commodities expert. And you know why? Well, because she's different. She's contrary. She knew oil was going down. Now, get this. She's bullish on oil here. Why? Let's take a look. First, this is the daily chart showing the West Texas Intermediate Crude Futures for May delivery. Okay, it's in red. And the West Texas Crude Futures for August delivery, and that's in blue. Even when the May contract went sub-zero last week, the August contract held up pretty well. It's still well over 20 bucks. This is the new pattern. While the May and June prices have collapsed, the back month's contracts are in much better shape. The May contract expired last week, and Garner points out that the June contract, the one that plummeted nearly 25% today, is now experiencing a lot of volatility. As ETFs that own this stuff are desperately trying to rebalance the portfolios to try to sidestep insolvency, and they're rookies, they're what Jimmy, pre-Jimmy Chill, I just said, a bunch of clowns. But the key here is simple. Right now, we don't have enough storage. Notice how Nordic American tanker was up huge again today, had them on Friday. And the oil companies waited way too long to cut production. So the crude that's earmarked for May and June delivery is getting hammered. However, the market seems pretty confident that the storage crisis will be worked out by August. And as you go further out, the prices get higher. We're talking in the 30s as we get deeper into 2020 deliveries. And that's why Garner's adamant that last week's oil crash was blown way out of proportion. In truth, get this, this wasn't talked about at all. Do you know there were only 10,000 futures contracts that traded in all of negative territory? We heard it was hundreds of thousands. It was only, she did a lot of work. There's only 10,000. In perspective, in an active month, you might see 700,000 to over a million of these contracts change hands each session. So where does oil go from here? Listen, we know the current environment is horrible for the industry. With millions of people working from home and tons of oil-intensive industries on life support, think the airlines, the cruise lines, the fundamentals do stink. The lockdown was always going to be brutal for oil. It was absolutely due for a correction. But as Garner points out, the cure for low commodity prices is... Low commodity prices. When the price of oil gets crushed, the industry slashes production, which is finally what's happening right now. You take out enough supply, prices stabilize. Once the economy starts bouncing back, prices go higher. You know, I think we need to be careful about reopening the economy before we're ready. But let's be very, very clear. The coronavirus pandemic, it is temporary. 
Sooner or later, we're going to get the situation under control and business will bounce back. It's just whether it's sooner or whether it's later. We won't be sheltering in place forever. Let's destroy the economy. Can't let that happen. And when the economy rebounds, oil rebounds with it. I know the industry took too long to adjust. But you know what? It is finally happening. Look at this. Yeah, this is where we got really bearish in oil. Look what's happened. This is the rig count, okay? The Baker used, that's a company that keeps track of the rig count for years. In most recent, in most recent numbers from Friday, 60 oil rigs were taken offline. That leaves only 378 rigs in operation, 60 in one week. Garner points out that the shell industry hasn't cut backs like this since the beginning of 2016, when oil traded down to the 20s. That turned out to be a multi-year low. And we just saw a big bankruptcy in Diamond Offshore. It's a shallow water driller, mostly focused on the gold. Meanwhile, Garner thinks last week's meltdown has cleared most of the weekend is speculators from the oil market. You had a lot of inexperienced traders bottom fishing prematurely. See all those Chinese people who are doing that? And that probably contributed to the collapse in the futures. So supply is coming down, and foolish speculators have been wiped out. That's perfect for a rally. Let me show you where it leaves us, okay? This is a, a, a look at the monthly West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil Futures chart. Um, because these contracts expire every month, this chart is a compilation of different contracts. That makes it tricky for technicians to gauge uh, what, what's going on in oil. But Garner's a pro, so let's rely on her. Remember, the May and June contracts are misleading, okay? So we've got May and June right up here. These are misleading, which is why she thinks you need to ignore the last tick down here. The July contract bottomed at 17.50 last week. August contract bottomed near 20. They both held the trend line, even when the front month futures went negative. What else? Thanks to last week's plunge, the relative strength index, that's a very important momentum indicator. Will you look at this? Finally went below 30. That's astonishing. It's the first time that's happened on a monthly basis since 2016. Remember, that's when we got the big bounce. And only the second time it's happened in all since the 90s. This market is just totally oversold. Remember, I'm a bear. But I see an oversold market, and I like it. While this downturn felt different because of last week's messy sub-zero action, Gardner wants us to remember that oil's no stranger to 80% declines. When you ignore the handful of May contracts that traded below zero, oil's now fallen 80% from its highs earlier this year. So the same thing happened during the financial crisis, and again from 2014 and 2016, when the world was flooded with new shale, uh, our shale oil. Uh, in, both of all the, in both of these cases, oil prices eventually rebounded substantially from the lows. So unless we magically embrace renewable energy overnight, which we're not, Garner thinks West Texas Intermediate Crude will get back to $40 a barrel probably sooner than most people expect. Shocking? All right, look. Um, take a gander at the daily chart of the August contract. And I know this is convoluted, but bear with me. She thinks they, they, that gives you the best read on oil right now. I totally agree with that. By the time the August contract expires in late July... Garner suspects that the production cuts from OPEC and the U.S. shale producers will work their way through the system and will have a build out of more storage. That means, by the way, you should sell North American tanker as we get closer to this. And it's possible that the global economy will be picking up steam, causing a rebound in demand. That wouldn't shock me. If that's the case, Garner expects the August WTI contract will stay above its floor of support of $20 a barrel. As long as that floor holds, OK, as long as this holds, or we only go a little bit beneath it, she's betting oil will return to the mid 
to high 30s with ceilings of resistance at 36, at 39 and 42. If the August contract gets to 42, well, I've filled in the gap left on March 9th. That was when the Saudis and the Russians started the ridiculous price war. Even if oil doesn't make a full recovery, Garner thinks a rebound to the mid to high 30s makes sense. Two months ago, that would have seemed like a pretty low level. On the other hand, if the $20 floor of support breaks down, she thinks the August contract falling to 15 bucks, though, uh, could happen. But she, she doubts that's going to really... And she doubts the bear's case. Here's the bottom line. Oh, by the way, if you believe this, if you believe this, this is a reason to buy Pioneer PXD, to buy Parsley. That's a little dollar, a couple, you know, small dollar amount stock, Parsley. It's a reason to buy EOG. It's a reason to buy Chevron. And it's a reason to buy the other fang, the wrong fang, Diamondback Energy, bottom line. The charts as interpreted by Carly Garner suggest that oil could rebound substantially over the summer. And while that may sound like wild-eyed optimism right here, I think she makes a good point. I still recommend avoiding many of the stocks. I just gave you the only ones I buy. Situation's still murky. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if Garner's right. And if that's the case, it's Parsley. It's Pioneer. It's EOG. It's a fang. And it's Chevron. Mad Money's back here for the break. It is time. It's time for the Lightning and then the lightning rounds over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's over the lightning round. My name is with Mark in New York. Mark. Hey, Jim. Hey, listen, I'm trying to get my head around Archer Daniels Midland. Uh, it's, it's not easy to do because it's a chronic underperformer. I don't see why anything's different. The only thing you want it for is the yield. And if I want to yield, I'll go for Verizon. Thomas in New, in New Jersey. Thomas. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. How are you? All right. How are you? Good. I enjoyed your uh, interview with the CEO of Nordic American Tankers, Nat, and I was wondering if you can share some thoughts on Scorpio Tankers. Scorpio is actually cheaper than and Herb Bjorn Hansen's Nat. Uh, if you believe, like I do, that you got another couple weeks before this trade is over, Scorpio's fine. Let's go to Don in South Carolina. Don! Hey, how about a big Gamecock booyah from Cobblestone Park Golf Club in Blackwood, South Carolina, home of the sixth-ranked Lady Gamecock Golf Team? Well, I couldn't think of a more accurate thing to talk about at this very moment. What's going on? <laughs> well, uh, I really want to know about uh, BioCrisp Pharmaceuticals. Uh, local outfit for you, but you know what? That's always a uh, bridesmaid, never bride. I just don't see uh, any momentum. There's so many companies. I'd still rather go with Moderna, frankly. Uh, but although that's going to be a year away. Let's be clear about that. Amir in Virginia. Amir. Hey, Jim, representing from the nation's capital here. First time caller and big fan. Oh, I appreciate thank you. you taking the time. I have a two part question related to Slack. All right. Sales seem to be increasing and they don't have a lot of debt. But part of me is curious if they can compete with the likes of Microsoft going forward. It's very hard. It's very hard. I, I like it because I think they can. I think they offer a good product, and I'd be a buyer of the stock. Let's go to David in Illinois. David. A big booyah from the land of Lincoln. Totally. Jim, I have two, two questions for you, if I may. Okay. One, I would like your opinion on in-mode. I... Radio frequency technology is not my style. Um, I just say, listen, you got EW, you got Medtron, you got Abbott. How many do you need? We don't have to have 100 different... Uh, medical device companies. We go for the three best. Um, and uh, we and that leads up to the conclusion of the lightning round. 
The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. When a high-quality stock rallies hard ahead of the quarter, I pray for something, anything to come along and temper expectations. Amazon reports this Thursday. The stock's just been on fire. You know what? I was getting nervous. Then this morning, my prayers were answered. Answered by the Wall Street Journal, which published a fabulous hit piece titled, For Amazon, Pandemic Isn't All Prime Time. I took one look at the article. I said, hallelujah. They de-risked the stock. See, the story had it all. First, we learned that Amazon, by its own admission, was caught flat-footed by the pandemic. This one's a real head-scratcher. I mean, everyone was caught flat-footed by the pandemic except South Korea and Taiwan. Second, because they weren't prepared, the journal tells us Amazon had to take measures, take measures for non-essential goods. They curtailed them. Believe me, we noticed. Third, they ran out of toilet paper and hand sanitizer again. Well, who else? So did everybody. Point four, some businesses have gone to competitors because of these issues. Yes, sure, but the competitors weren't so hot and tended to be more expensive unless you went to Costco, which we own for the Chapel Trust. Target picked up a little share, maybe Walmart. However, my sources indicate that Amazon Web Services has been taking cloud market share during this period because it's more reliable than its competitors, and reliability is what they really want now. Finally, fifth, the article gives you a sense of the struggles and frustrations of Amazon's warehouse workers, alluding to a possible unionization effort. Needless to say, the market takes a pretty dim view of organized labor. Put it all together, though, and I think this terrific negative article, which helped knock the stock down $34, has done Amazon shareholders a real service. It basically neutered all the potential objections and concerns. The so-called hair on the quarter that comes when you try to hire 175,000 people at once to meet demand. So when Amazon reports on Thursday, we've already been warned again about all these issues. All the issues that might detract from what I expect will be an otherwise good quarter. I think it's a buying opportunity because when you hear and read about all these gripes, you'll have known that they've already been aired by the Wall Street Journal. What happens when a high-flying stock doesn't get vaccinated like this? Well, then you end up with a situation like Netflix, where they report excellent numbers and the stock gets slammed anyway. It's often hard to know where you stand ahead of earnings. Last week, Morgan Stanley's redoubtable Katie Uberty put out a terrific note arguing that Apple's got a great setup here. The near-term sales worries are already baked into the stock, she says, meaning the expectations have been reset. And that might allow Apple to rally after it reports Thursday night. But then today we find out that the next iPhone iteration will be late. Ah, that delays bad news. I don't know if that's baked in. I, although I still think the best strategy with Apple is to own it, not trade it. Nevertheless, I think now you've got to brace yourself for some painful number cuts. The most vulnerable might be my favorite, Microsoft which reports on Wednesday. I don't know if Sol expects anything less than perfection from these guys, but after a huge push after the close today by Jefferies with a target boost from 175 to 200, the stock's now priced for perfection. So if you don't own it already, I think it's too late to buy this one ahead of the quarter. Be ready to buy more if it gets hit when there's even a tiny bit of hair on the quarter. Finally, remember, tomorrow's another day. Like, to, like the tomorrow after IBM reported, when the stock uh, tumbled to 116 after a seemingly bad quarter, I was aghast because nobody expected perfection from IBM, especially one uh, uh, there was a software slide, yet the results were good enough that the stock really should have been able to rally. 
Well, sure enough, it did. Stocks rebounded. It's now up more than 10 from its low. So try not to take the first move post-earnings too seriously. The market does often get it wrong. And that initial action is more about the expectations game than the fundamentals. If you've done the work, if you know the craft, you know it's wrong. That's why I'm so grateful for the piece in the Wall Street Journal slamming Amazon. Maybe now the stock's been immunized against those negatives in what I think will obviously be a very strong quarter and year. Stick with Craig. Remember, I'm pro-tech, and a lot of people felt that tech would disappoint. Tonight, NXP Semi, which I told you in my game plan last week, would be the key one to watch, had a terrific quarter. And then uh, we're just seeing good numbers everywhere. FFIV, F5, which is a traffic coordinator for the web. That was great. I don't know if you heard what Jensen said about NVIDIA. I think they're doing quite well. So remember, tech and healthcare remain areas that are investable. The other stuff? much more trading oriented, particularly the retailers, where I expect other than a few, you just trade. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Americans in turmoil. So by Scott Wapner begins right now. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.